everyone, and welcome to part four of our Clue at Intellicon Master Series. In today's edition, we've got a triple header coming your way. I was joined by Aaron Pearson, the VP of Marketing at A Value Serve, Ashley Isinger, the Competitive Intelligence Analyst at Highspot, and Pat Wall, the Head of Competitive Intelligence at Imperva. In this episode, Erin shares the most notable evolution that she has seen in the compete industry in recent years. Ashley shares the one piece of advice she'd give her younger self starting out her competitive journey. And Pat reveals the one thing that he wishes competitive professionals stopped doing. Plus, we get into plenty more. These are some close friends of the show, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I'm joined by Aaron Pearson, the VP of Marketing at ValueServe. Hey, Adam, how are you? I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here too. It's nice to see how tall everyone is finally. I, my sh- well, you didn't know me before this, but I've been told that I'm taller than expected. By Zoom, I'm giving like short person energy. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I take it as a good thing. I take it as a compliment. Yeah. Yeah, well, you're being polite because you're the guest on the show right that's now. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Teeing you up. Uh, Aaron, happy to have you on. I want to ask you a couple questions about a, a topic that's kind of... is being. I've talked to a couple of different pe- compete pros on this, and it's being able to prove the impact of your work on the business. So what, do, what have you seen compete pros do successfully and struggle with in terms of actually just proving that output and that their work matters? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is, it's a great question because it's really hard to prove. So I think a lot of people are in in the ROI of how many people are actually using my program, whether it's the number of people who are accessing my battle cards or the number of people who are logging into my platform, how, how is my user growth growing over time, how engaged are they? So these are a little bit more higher level engagement metrics that people are going for. Um, how I look at competitive intelligence is it's really something that's here to help grow the competitive advantage of a business. So I think when you're really trying to prove it out, the hard thing is that typically when you're really seeing effective and well done competitive intelligence, it's something that it's going to take a little bit longer to show true ROI coming through. But I think the really key thing is when you look at the individual use cases that somebody is going for. For example, if you're doing competitive intelligence on pricing, you can see what is the margin impact that you were able to create. And then how did that actually then translate into a price increase or a profit increase? Or you can look at marketing and you could look at the individual marketing campaigns. I think CI is this team that's really empowering a lot of other teams to do their jobs as well. So sometimes it's not the individual metrics of the CI team, but it's when you can send it out to these other teams, how did their metrics change because they were able to receive and apply the data that you were giving? Have you seen, so that's an interesting one because it's almost as a compete team, you're feeding so many different teams. And what, so what you're saying is almost that you want to be measured by some of the metrics that these teams are being measured by. Like, how does that look? For example, like, let's say win rate improvements. There could be a million reasons why your win rate against competitor why happened. Uh, it could be product improvements. It could be it could be improved competitive intelligence. It could be we just as a killer salesperson in that segment. Like, how do you, how do we, how do we like crack that nut in terms of 
I, and I don't think it's like prescriptive, like this is all because of CI, but is there, is this something you've seen in terms of just improving like the visibility or the importance of what CI is doing for these different kind of teams? I think what you can see is when you're actually handing out the information, you can actually see a difference in application. Um, in a sense, you can relate it back in my world to marketing. It's essentially multi-touch attribution um, into things as well when you're bringing in uh, marketing campaigns. Um, and these are bigger metrics that we're looking at in this case. So I don't think it's a one and done type thing. Um, I think it is a bit of how do you apply information from um, various areas. Um, I think the CI team certainly should be looking at those engagement metrics for sure and being able to see when are they, when people are actually engaging with what you're providing to them. Is it actually creating this change in their behavior? Is it creating this um, level of increase in results that they're able to get as well? Um, so I think that there's different levels of what you'd be tracking as, um, as part of this, but um, certainly... Um, Part of it um, would be tracking other people's um, impact that they're able to make because of what you're able to provide. Is there any value in sort of wrapping up sort of qualitative feedback too? I mean, you, you, I know you mentioned sort of like consumption is high level, but then if you, I guess is that, is that attribution kind of, not problem, but that attribution dilemma about like, is there is there a way to like kind of overlay yeah, that qualitative feedback from those end users or user groups to kind of validate what you're, what you're doing? I think there is, and I think you're going to get the feedback significantly faster. So I did mention in the beginning, um, it takes a little bit longer to prove some of that out. So I think when you can get those initial sound bites and those anecdotes coming in from people that, wow, this was really able to help me on a sales call, or this really helped me decide what my marketing campaign is going to be, or I was able to better understand my supply chain because of the information that you were going or what partners I should um, go after. That's always like a critical first step in being able to um, then see what data do I need to track and then back it up with data as well. Okay, so let's let's get into a little bit of like this kind of evolution of Compete or what we've seen, like the progression of it. Is there is there something that stands out to you with how Compete Pros are kind of operating from a couple of years ago to now? Is there anything that stood out to you? So I think what you're seeing is a lot of them are applying a lot more technology um, to what they're doing. I think that's the first big shift is, I mean, we're at Skip right now. You can look around and see all these vendors. Um, the number of like new technologies and new things that are coming out has greatly increased over the past five or so years right so I think you're able to see the application um, of uh, what they uh, what what they're doing and how they're able to bring this um, this into their program that's coming in through AI it's helping them scale um, what they're actually able to do and then it's through like the delivery mechanisms that are now all of a sudden available to them and then I think the other thing outside of technology that we're starting to see a lot of is these, these teams are becoming more and more centralized. Um, and what we're seeing is that they're not just looking at um, how do I bring in like new sources and how do I collect all of this data, but it's very much so how do I pair um, the research that I'm doing with data? So how do I pair my internal and external sources together? And how do I normalize them to create um, not just a what are the trends happening, but what's the big story behind what's happening? So then we can apply this out. Um, it, to the functional teams that we're working with. Is there something you'd wished that Compete Pro stopped doing? A hypothetical, comp no, no one in particular. Hard to answer. I'm not sure if I have a specific one um, for this. I would probably say I would want to see them, I guess, most elevate what they're doing. I think the work within competitive intelligence is so essential and it's 
massively impressive um, what people are able to discover. Um, but I think a lot of times it kind of go, goes hidden. So I would want to see them elevate their voice um, within the company a lot more. Um, there's been some interesting posts uh, recently, like on LinkedIn, that you know in the next five years we might start seeing like a, a chief competitive intelligence officer as well. So I think that um, when you really think about that and how much CI has been changing organizations, um, you're going to start to see that becoming a much more strategic role within the organization. And that's it's kind of tied to there's so many sessions about building visibility with your groups. I think it's a natural cycle. There's visibility improvements. I think what we talked about to start with, like the proving your impact. I think the natural progression, like you mentioned there, is that it is a critical function to the level where it gets a seat at the table at the strategic C-suite level. Right. I've got one more question for you because you've been brilliant with your time. What is, are there some like common misconceptions do you think around like the perception of what a compete professional does? Uh, I think the obvious one is that they're kind of there to tear down the competition. I think that when you go outside of the competitive intelligence space, uh, when you hear, oh, I'm in competitive intelligence, and it gets this an immediate like negative thing like, oh, corporate espionage yeah. um, type thing to it. And it's absolutely um, not that. And I think you can look at a lot of the sessions today talking about ethics or I mean, just walk around and talking to everybody. Everyone is like so nice and willing to share um, the type of stuff that they're doing as well honestly like they're the nicest people Aaron I met you when did I meet you about an hour ago a good friend earlier this morning yeah, earlier yeah, this couple, morning couple hours ago. and Aaron is willing to give her time be on a podcast in front of the millions of millions. people billions actually billions yeah once I share it on LinkedIn <laughs> oh, oh I see that Aaron thank you so much for joining me all right thank you Adam All right, today I'm joined by Ashley Isinger. Hi. Our friend from High Spot. I'd say one of, on the Mount Rushmore, friends of the podcast, friends of the show. I am so excited to see you in person, and I'm so excited to have you join the show. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. I don't want to take up too much time. There's a lot of mingling to go on here, but I do have some questions, and I want to hear your answers. Okay. So, you recently actually just shifted from a previous position into joining Highspot, joining the team with Justin Topliff, also friend of the podcast. So, I want to ask you a couple things about like career advice for people in Compete. It's a new profession. There's a lot of people starting off. Um, and yeah, so let's dive into it. What is one thing you could tell your former self when you were starting off your career in Compete? I think the biggest thing to remember in any career, but I feel like Compete is a huge one, is that baby steps make big impacts, right? So a lot of time, like especially when I was first starting out, I was really worried about getting everything perfect the very first time having a very polished you know it would be like pristine like uh in your in one of your recent podcasts you were talking to andy uh andy bicknell right and he was saying you know the imagination of the ceo that's gonna find the battle card and be like oh this battle card is perfect right and that was me too right like a hundred percent um but really the thing that i found was most valuable was getting these pieces of intel working it so that it was something that was functional for my salespeople or for my marketing folks, handing it to them and saying, okay, this is, this is what I got. How can this get better? Is this useful to you? And then really iterating on that messaging. So really like take, take the intel you have, take the stuff you have, baby steps, you know, disperse it amongst your stakeholders, say, is this helpful to you? Is this useful to you? And then go from there. It doesn't have to be perfect the very first time. 
It's sort of the, the mantra that uh, Jason Oakley, when he brought to the team, who leads our product marketing squad here, is like building public. Yes. It's been such a cool thing. 100%. And it allows people to kind of buy into the program, buy into what you're doing. And it's just like getting that visibility point too. Yes, absolutely. What's, uh, so when you started your co- compete career, can you remember like one of the first things you did when you joined and started diving into competitive enablement? Yes. So one of the first things I did was go through everything that had been done before by my predecessor. So my previous company, we had some competitive that had been in place, but it wasn't really like a super focus. And then that got recharged. Um, So I had to like go back through and see, okay, like take inventory. What did we have? Uh, Was it still good? Was it still useful? And then really move forward from there. So uh, was that a good exercise? Yes and no, right? It depends on how like into your, like into competitive your company is currently, but it is good background. So I feel like, again, is that super useful? It really depends, but if nothing else, it really laid a a foundation or a framework for me for, okay, so this is what's been done in the past. How can I either make this better or totally deviate and do something completely different, right? So it, it was good. I don't know if I would do it again from scratch. So what have you done to kind of raise the visibility or uh, of the compete programs when you worked previously at Availity and now uh, now with High Spot? Right. So with Availity, I mean, one of the biggest things that happened is we had a new uh, chief growth officer come in and she really lit a fire right behind compete and how important it was. And so I got to say, like, I don't know how much I did to increase that visibility, except climb onto that enthusiasm and just like go with it right why did she care about compete so much it was something that she had brought from a previous her previous company where she like really put a huge focus on compete and had seen a lot of uh, a lot of success with it and again at availability compete was important but it wasn't like at the forefront which I feel like is where a lot of companies are right um, and when she came in it really just lit a fire and it, it was incredible like the change so <laughs> I was like okay, we're like doing this, right? So I was going from a place where I was sort of like, like I said, like preparing, getting my feet wet, getting that knowledge so I could build something to like, all right, I'm grabbing onto the side of this freight train and we're going to like, we're going to go with it. So it was really a lot of building in public, iterating on the fly, like taking what we had and making it into something. And it, it, it was incredible. Um, and at High Spot, like our leadership is so into Compete. Compete is a huge piece of, you know, what we do. And it, it has visibility that, again, I feel like I don't really have to do a lot to like make it more visible because I've been really blessed to have leadership that just wants compete right and that's a differentiator for both companies you know having that focus and that visibility at the top it it just changes the way that we do business and it makes us a a better company i think so i don't know how much credit i can take right (laughs) but it's cool though seeing the what you're saying is like leadership buying is going to cause it like i mean it's cool that like you were blessed with having for example the growth officer that cared to that degree that is sort of like right timing but i'm also think like you mentioned like the building in public in tandem with that is going to like accelerate the yeah the visibility the strategic importance of the work you're doing absolutely yeah because they see that you you get it right and you're willing to go and you know have it not be like i said before like not be the most perfect thing now in certain situations obviously you want it to be as polished as possible but i feel like a piece of that is also understanding that all of this information is changing and growing all of the time new things are happening all of the time right like in my time at availability we saw a number of competitors 
had huge like M&A situations, being able to grab onto that attention and have them say, all right, how are we shifting? How are we responding to this, et cetera, et cetera. Fantastic. Tell me about your most successful experience enabling the customer facing teams on a competitor. Okay, so I don't want to like plug too hard, but the clue battle cards are amazing, right? Right, 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 amazing. Really just being able to take information, break it down into, you know, like key insights, messaging, questions to ask, putting it on a card that is not 100 pages long. They're not going to have to sift through like four paragraphs to get to the stuff that they want. It was a huge game changer. And my sales teams loved it. Just absolutely loved it. Went crazy for it. Gave me a bunch of great feedback and having the searchability to all of that stuff. It was a huge, having a CI platform was a huge game changer. Was there a specific card? Yes, actually. So two, I had two that were like people loved. One was what to say. And I think that this comes like right out of one of your like clues building battle cards situations. Or maybe I was talking to my customer success manager. Shout out Mayna. She was the best. She was the best. Ellen, amazing too. Mayna, I miss you. Um, But it was a what to say. So your competitor gets brought up in a customer conversation. You might be caught a little bit off guard. Having that message right there that's, uh, you know, whatever you want, you know, your sales team to say to pivot, having that right there was a game changer for them. They loved that. And the other one was how to spot them. So, you know, we all have our buzzwords and our questions that we like to ask and our like little phrases, right? But so, so if you're in a situation where you don't know, you know, you have a competitor in the mix, but you keep hearing a phrase that doesn't quite sound natural, or it's something, a question that gets asked all the time, like where you're building landmine questions, having, you know, the ability to say, okay, this competitor likes to ask this question a lot. That was a game changer for them. So it's like an awareness piece, hey? And that's actually a cool one. Like the how to spot them is actually a really important piece for customer success side too. That I'm often less privy to being around in competitive deals. Like a salesperson is like naturally used to kind of selling against the alternatives. Whereas a CS person doesn't necessarily, isn't as yeah familiar with that setup. So tell me how not to get stakeholders to use your messaging, your intel. Give me the no-no right now. Sure, the first and the, I think the biggest way to get your stakeholder to just completely t- like tune out is to just give them facts and not insights, right? So if you just fact load, if you just, you know, what is it like, you know, drop, drop a link and that's it, people are like, what is this, right? What is this? I don't know what this is. The other one, which is a close follow-up is just enormous blocks of text. I think I was just talking about this, right? Enormous blocks of text that you really have to sift through in a pre-call where you're, you know, trying to like, you know, get your knowledge together is one thing. But if if I'm a salesperson, I get stuck on a call, a competitor comes up and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, and I want to use some of the tools that I have, my, you know, playbook or my battle cards, whatever. If I have to read through a big block of text on a call, I'm in panic mode by that by that point, right? And then the next time that comes up, I'm probably less likely to go to those tools and use those tools. So I'd say number one, you know, provide your insight, or excuse me, this is how not to, don't provide any insight, right? <laughs> Just drop some links and let it go, right? No insight whatsoever. And the second way is just, you know, be Faulkner, right? Be, yeah, just drop a huge, block of text no no punctuation right just throw it in there and you know let them fend for themselves that's how to not get any stakeholder buy-in 
I love that answer. All right, I got one more question for you. I am a competitive genie. Adam, I have turned in, I'm blue, I've turned in, and I've got one wish that I can grant you in terms of how to enable your teams better. What would that, what is your wish and why? Okay, my wish is um, enthusiasm from the very beginning. So why is that? I feel like, you know, sales folks or marketers, your, your, you know, your C-suite stakeholders, they're coming to their situation. They're coming to you know, their business with some, pre, you know, some preformed ideas on how they do things, how things should be done, right? And so sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's a big deal to kind of get them excited about using your tools, right? I think that you hear a lot or you'll see a lot of posts on LinkedIn about how it's hard to prove ROI with CI, right? Um, and, and that's true to an extent, right? Some some uh, folks do it better than others or whatever, but it, it, it's a process. And I think that the number one thing about that process is getting that buy-in and that means making people excited, right? Saying, here's how I can really show value to you. Here's how I can help you and getting people stoked about that. So if you could grant me anything, Genie Adam, I would say, make people excited about CI from the beginning, not a, like a convince, like not, not something I have to convince them about. Well, I don't know about you, but now I am excited about <laughs> Compete, listening to you talk. Ashley, this is so awesome. We're going to go hang out. We're having dinner tonight as yeah. well. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Today, I'm joined by friend of the podcast, Recurring guest now officially, and it's been a pleasure to see him in person, is Pat Wall, the head of competitive intelligence at Imperva. Pat, thanks for joining me again. Hey, thanks for having me. It's fun to actually do this in person. I know. You know, I actually see someone. It's surreal. Yeah. It's surreal. This is um, in the flesh. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. We're, we're at happy hour right now, people, so we're letting loose a little bit here. Yeah, so clue after hours. This, you know? this is the, yeah, this is the after hours show. Um, clue after dark. Might be not safe for work. Can cannot confirm. So apologies on anything on that end. But hey, Pat, I've got you here. And first impressions to skip overall. What's been what's been your biggest takeaway? It's been great. It's actually great to actually sit down and talk to people who actually do competitive intelligence, right? Like I'm actually having conversations with individuals across so many different fields and talking to them and saying, hey, this is amazing. Like you have the same problems I have. You have the same solutions I have. Let's talk about it. And it's great. There's people from, you know, automotive to software to even cybersecurity. So I get to actually meet my peers in cybersecurity as well. So it's something awesome. Yeah. I mean, I mean the shared experience with people has been like the thing that has been a common uh, common refrain from everyone saying, I just, I just get to like meet with people that are doing the same thing as me. Like the thing I do is so like unique to the organization that sometimes it's can be not isolating, but you know what I mean? It feels like you're, it's just a unique role, a new role, and that not a lot of people know exactly what's happening like under the hood with a, with a compete pro. It's always evolving too, right? I mean, everyone has a little different flair, and so that's what's, that's what's exciting because you get to talk to different individuals and be like, oh, you do it this way. Oh, that's cool. I never thought about that. Or you do, how do you do this? And having those conversations. So I got a couple questions in terms of like how, how this, as you mentioned now, how it's evolved. So what have you seen in terms of how competitive experts are operating compared to a couple of years ago to now? Yeah, I mean, the first off, you know, the, the battle cards, right? Even talking about that, right? Like taking away that battle card, right? That PDF thing and actually taking that static and having sales reps ask, where is the PDF, right? Making it much more easily consumable, making it more so it's a centrally located place, whether it's Clure, and, you know, making it so that people have an idea of, okay, this is where I get competitive intelligence and these are the competitive intelligence SMEs at my organization. 
versus just some guy in a cubicle behind doing little Harvey balls and saying, okay, well, this competitor has, you know, a half circle, and this guy has a quarter circle, and I think we have a full circle, so therefore we're better. And nobody reads it or uses it. Nobody reads it, nobody uses it, and so they, but it's really important to, you know, make sure that they're enabled too, right? And so competitive enablement, making sure that they understand that, hey, we have competitive intelligence, but this is the reason why we need to use it, and this is how we use it. Totally, and then what is one thing in terms of, we talked about evolution there, but is there something that you wished competitive professionals stopped doing? Oh, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think sometimes we, uh, I think we talk about this in the podcast, is like we just build it and we let it go. We have to, we have to do sales enablement part of it, right? And I think, I think sales enablement has become a huge partner of competitive intelligence. And I think a lot of times we have to leverage sales name and say, hey, you guys are doing such a great job. Let's make sure that we work with you together and actually become a partnership so that we are making sure that the competitive intelligence that we build is actually being enabled and being used. And then also, you know, a lot of times some competitive people, they don't get feedback, right? We need feedback. Does this work? If it doesn't work, let's change it. If it works, great. But like, if it doesn't work, let's fix it, right? You know, be okay to fail, right? That's, uh, that's I mean, it's such a good point. Like the... Being it, like being able to fail, build in public. It's like because honestly, the failure in building in public is part of like growing visibility, right? It makes it feel authentic. Um, I was chatting with someone the other earlier on the podcast is about like um, being having to have that like clean veneer of like this is everything, everything's perfect. But like you don't want to come that way. Like it doesn't feel authentic or real. Whereas when you when you build in public, you show your shortcomings. You're you're asking the field like what what do you know? Where can I improve? How is this messaging working? Like. It's going to be more reciprocal. Absolutely. It's going to be more reciprocal. And also, you, they have a stake in it too, right? You bring your sales, you bring your SEs, you bring them together, and they're helping build it. So they have a stake in it as well. So it's part of their intelligence too. It's not just Pat's intelligence or, you know, someone else's intelligence. It's everyone's. And then I guess you, you kind of touch on this about a little bit, but like where in your mind's eye, where does like kind of competitive enablement fit in the organization? It's, you know, I think it, it fits really at the tri, uh, the area of, Sales, marketing, and product, right? And so that's why I love product marketing, but even more I love intelligence within product marketing because you're touching sales all the time. Your sales is your number one primary stakeholder. But you're worth working with marketing to make sure that A, the BDRs are you know trained and understand. You're working with marketing to make sure the demand generation has campaigns and the keywords are correct. And then you're working with product to say, hey, these are the things that we need to build or in two years will become obsolete, right? And so it's it's that perfect triangle of you have sales, you have marketing, you have product, and it really comes all together and there's you got competitive intelligence. Man, that's a, that was a very succinct response to that one. That's a cool one. That's been a fun question to ask because there's been a lot of varying answers in that one. Uh, in terms of misconceptions, what are some common misconceptions of the competitive professional in your mind? Well, I think sometimes uh, people just think we're like an analyst and we just sit in the background and it's like the cube building PDFs and we just think of an idea and it pops in our head and we're like, oh, that should be a kill point. <laughs> and it's actually not, right? Like we're, we're taking a lot of information from a lot of different sources, customers, sales, analysts, uh, primary research, secondary research, bringing it all together and making it easily consumable, right? And so I think it's more that, you know, hey, we have a stake in the game. We want to make sure that, you know, our win-loss ratios are better and we can actually show impact into revenue. I think that's really where, you know, the misconception is sometimes we're just guys in the background with glasses on, you know, building these, like, elaborate PDFs <laughs> that, like, no one can read and, like, does that, yeah. I think we touched on this one actually in our original episode, but let's let's bring it back up here. I want, um, as someone that's uh, experienced in the world of Compete, there's a lot of listeners that are newer to the world. And so, career advice. Um, 
what would you tell yourself when you were kicking off Compete? How long ago when you started in Compete? Oh, God. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I was a sales engineer, but I was doing competitive intelligence. So I could, you could probably even say 10 years if you actually put it all together. 10 years. Yeah. Dang. So if you could go back in time to Pat 10 years ago, what would you tell him about Compete and that would help set you up for success? Be okay to fail. Like, try new things. Have conversations. Try new different ways of making it so that people understand that, hey, we're, it's a work in progress. Competitive intelligence is an evolution. I think I talk about this. I always say, like, competitive intelligence is a triathlon, right? You run a marathon, but you still have, after you run that marathon, you still have that bike and that swim. So, like, you're always going to take more time. And so it's okay to fail. It's okay to change things and revolve. And not everything that you build is set in stone. And so that's what I always tell, that's what I tell Pat. Were you, uh, back when you started, was that something that you weren't as cognizant of? Absolutely not. I mean, you know, it's, failure is hard, right? It's really hard to fail. You know, it's like people that don't want to admit they failed or people don't want to admit they made a mistake. But, you know, we all do. We're humans. We interact, so might as well just admit we failed or admit we mistake or figure out why this didn't work, right? You know, figure out why we lost. I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we feel bad. We don't want to talk about loss. You know, sometimes loss is a dirty word. I think we have to talk about failure and loss because that's how we get better. Do you remember the first thing you did when you got into Compete officially? Do you remember like the first thing, the first action item? So yeah, I was actually hired for a company to, I was actually hired to be their competitive individual. I mean, it was great, but the first thing I did was I was like, so you're, you're hiring me because you don't really have the competitive intelligence. You need that problem, right? Why? Like who are the competitors that you are actually competing against, right? And I asked everyone and they gave me a list of individuals and then I went to the data. Interesting enough, the data said something completely different. Really? Yeah, because the di- everyone heard the squeaky wheel. And so they were saying, oh, we're losing all these deals to this main competitor. But if you actually look at the data, our base competitor was someone different. And so that's one of the things that you always have to look at is look at the data. I mean, the squeaky wheel always gets the grease, but go in and actually look at the data because you'll actually see a lot of different things. That is, that is super. So what did, what did you do when you heard that? So you're, you've got, there's a misalignment. You're, you're hearing this uh, and say, hey, Salespeople have a loud voice. We, we love you, salespeople. I'm looking at Lauren, our own AE, as we're saying this. But Sales is my best friend. <laughs> they're, they're awesome, but your data is saying something different. Like, How do you even approach that part? Well, you, So you can show them that, right? You show them that data. You say, hey, yeah, we're seeing a much more loud because they're, making, they're a competitor because they're trying to copy us and they're trying to be that new uh, individual. But this actually much larger competitor is huge, is much more important, and that's where we have to see. And yeah, look at all the revenue we lost, look at all the deals we lost because of being a better versus loud competitor. In the wise words of Jay Z, men lie, women lie, but numbers don't. It really is clue after hours. <laughs> is cl- I'm sorry, people. I apologize. Pat Pat had an eye roll. Mel just looked at me like she, she, I think it's. We might have to cut the cut the episode here soon. I got one final question. What? In so over your career so far, what have you done or you noticed that's helped elevate like the strategic importance or the visibility of your competitive work and the programs you've built? Yeah, it's getting uh, alignment and getting executive alignment, right? Uh, you can do as much as you can, but when you have executive sponsors and you have people who understand competition and get it and see the value of it, it will disintegrate down across the organization, right? And I think, you know, I'm lucky at Imperva where I have, uh, you know, executives who understand competition. They say this is a very important role. And so I think that they, they see that, and uh, when they see that, then it rolls down into the VPs, the sales, the product, and it's a very important thing to have. So when you have that executive lineman, you, they understand competition, it's a huge importance. 
And was that in the top-down kind of alignment? Yeah. Did they did they care about it? And you're like, thank God, I found the perfect match. Or was there something about you building a business case too, being like, no, you need to care about this. Well, it's a combination of both, right? Some cared about it, right? And some there was a business case, but also it was making relationships, right? That's what we do. We build relationships, and so building those relationships with those executives to have that ability to say, uh, bring that in and realize competitive intelligence is an important role. But Pat, there's nothing better to do than when you're at days. I think we're on like podcast number ten right now, and I think. Saving best for last for day one, I think, here. Um, We're going to go drink some more beers and have some dinner tonight, uh, and we'll catch everyone tomorrow morning. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.